Can our real freedom, real opportunity, and real life be found in our inner mental landscape that is free from mediocrity, ignorance, and conformity? Stay tuned as we speak with our guest, Dr. Andrew Court, about his new book, The Beauty and Nobility of Life, a restoration of meaning in a world overwhelmed by commercialism, scientism, and fundamentalism. Welcome to the Your Life Now Show, where your life and your business matter. Your host is a certified executive coach and trainer with the passion to help make the difference in the world. Your Life Now Show brings you powerful resources and effective tips to help you manage your life and your business at its best. And now, here's your host, Coach Rhea. Hello, my friends, and welcome. You are listening to Your Life Now Show, where your life and your business matter. I am your host and executive producer, Rhea Wolke, also known as Coach Rhea. So welcome to the show. It's a great Thursday here in my neck of the wood in the East Coast. And I hope you are doing well wherever you are. We are back with a brand new show and a great thought-provoking episode. And before we bring on our guests, I'd like to introduce myself again. I am the founder and the CEO of Your Life Now. It's a professional executive coaching, training, and marketing company. If you'd like to know more about us and how we can be of service to you, please feel free to reach us on our website at yourlifenow.info, or you can send me a message here on the show, follow the show for up-to-date information. On this show, we try to cover a lot of different topics related to our everyday life on a personal as well as a professional level. And on this show, we invite best-selling authors, thought leaders, where we share a lot of great information, tips, and resources with you. And as usual, my intention of hosting this show, and we are celebrating six years now on the air, is to inspire change and transformation. I'd like to inspire you to make some positive changes in your life and in your business so you can have the life that you desire. All I ask of you is to have an open mind and an open heart. Take what is useful for you and question everything. After all, it's your life. Why don't you live it your way? We're going to take a short break and when we come back, I will introduce you to our amazing guest, Dr. Andrew Court. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Your Life Now Radio Show with Coach Rhea will return in just a few moments. Welcome back, my friends. You are listening to Your Life Now Show, where your life and your business matter. I am your host and executive producer, Rhea Wilkie, also known as Coach Rhea. Thank you so much for being here. So today, 
We have a great episode for you with an amazing guest. He's our returning guest, Dr. Andrew Court. And we're questioning a lot of things about our freedom, about the opportunity, about our life, and about our mental landscape. What's going on there? What are we doing and are we living the life that we should be living? Are we making the changes that we need to do so we can have and do and be part of this amazing life? Our guest, Dr. Andrew Court, is an author, a speaker, teacher, attorney, doctor of chiropractic, an interfaith minister. He's also a Joseph Campbell scholar and we will share with you some of the information how to get a hold of him. But today we are talking about his new book, The Beauty and Nobility of Life, The Restoration of Meaning in a World Overwhelmed by Commercialism, Scientism, and Fundamentalism. Please help me welcome our friend and our amazing guest, Dr. Andrew Court, back to the show. Thank you so much for being here, Andrew. Welcome. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, Ria. Wonderful to be back. Well, it's it's amazing how we were just saying off the air, you know, five years ago, uh, you were one of my uh, uh, <laughs> first guests. Uh, well, not, you know, but we had a few guests on that, that year that were awesome. And you, of course, you are one of them. And I really appreciate you being back with another amazing book. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So this is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with, with a topic that is really bring us to think a little bit deeper. I think, you know, we, we shallow thinker, most of us, unfortunately, and uh, um, we accept things as they come. We never question anything. I know you heard me probably in the introduction. That's my motto. Like, we have to question everything, you know, what's going on, how we expect, accept information, what are we doing with that information, how are we living our life. You touched in your book on a lot of different things that really brought it home to me, and I, I definitely highly recommend we're going to tell people in the end of the show how they can get a hold of the book and also get a hold of you for more information, um, but... Let me ask you this by starting by that simple question. Did we actually lose our true sense of the meaning of life? <laughs> well, let's see. That question kind of assumes that the true sense and meaning of life is something that uh, is right there in front of us and we could know it, but we forget it. And I, mm. I, I'm not sure. I'm certainly not here to tell people what the meaning of life is. Right. But I meant like, I think we, what we lose is the concern with the question, with asking the question and asking all the really deep, important questions. We kind of give up on them, let them go, and put all our attention outwards into the material world and what's happening around us and just get led through life passively and forget to ask those questions. Why am I here? What is my life for? Why does this matter? Does this matter? Uh, what ought I to be thinking and feeling and doing, if anything? And, and we, we don't ask because we're too busy. Or we that's don't want the problem, ask. I think. Yeah, you know, to. I mean, yeah, I, I think, too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I think from, from my, you know, from my um, relationship with a lot of, you know, people in business and, and how I work with them and stuff like that, I find it to be that people really don't want to hear the answer. 
or the afraid, I think the fear of knowing the truth, you know, I think, you know, they feel mm-hmm. if you don't know the truth, the truth, if you don't, what do they say? What's the expression? Um, if you don't know the the truth, could that hurt you or hurt something you. like that? Right. That's great. <laughs> right. Which is really, I mean, you know, seriously, do we really want to live that lot? You know, our life like that. I am I'm very, very, very involved in in how I think about you know my life and everything in it. Um, and I don't believe anything happened accidentally. So, but but realization that I think people, like you said, we're not here to tell people what the meaning of life. I think you know. The meaning of life can make it, it can mean a lot of different things to to different people, right? So it's not going to mean the same to you. It's not going to mean the same to me, maybe, or maybe it is. I mean, I think if if we are on the same path, you know, as far as mental path, you know, our landscape, like we think, is same. So we might have something in common. But what is, I mean, you know, I know you touched on a lot of things, and and we're gonna get into a lot of things in the book, and and. Uh, um, I just want to put it out there. If anybody interested in calling during the live show, um, I see some people in the, in the studio, but they, they are in the listening mode. So if you ever wanted to call in, I'm going to give you that number again. It's six two six two one three five seven seven three. Again, that's six two six two one three five seven seven three. And if you do want to um, join us, it's just uh, hit one um, and a dash, and you'll be joined. You know, you'll be put in the queue. Anyhow, with that being said. Um, so, I mean, you, you know, you, you had authored seven, eight books. How many books do you have authored? Uh, ten. Ten books. My ten goodness. now altogether. Sure. Okay, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I don't know what number, the one that you came in on on, on the show with the five years ago, but I know you always did be writing. And uh, um, before we, get, we dig in a little bit more, can you tell us more about... Dr. Andrew Court that we don't know, what makes you who you are? Like how you become that thought leader in, 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 in your, you know, in your field. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Um, you, you mentioned all these professions I have, and I've got kind of an eclectic uh, group of things that I do and have done and have been involved in. And sometimes I think it looks very impressive on paper that I have all those degrees. And sometimes I think it looks like I'm 66 years old and don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm, I'm you know, looking at both angles of that. But I, but I have had a, a variety of things, and I've always been interested in writing, and I've always been interested in spiritual matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of my most of my writing has been about the inner spiritual meaning. Right. in the symbolism of the Western uh, scriptures and myths and how they're always about the initiation and enlightenment of the soul. And they're always told in terms of stories about people walking around and doing things, and, but those are symbolic. And finding that there's a, an instruction manual, if you will, in all the scriptures and mythology in the West and the East, too, although I don't write about the East, uh, but that's, that gives meaning to life, that, that gives at least the possibility of meaning to life if people would look at it that way. Instead of just looking at the surface stories and saying, well, I believe this story and you believe that story, so we have to have a war and try and kill each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's not what the stories are really about. The, the inner essence of the story is what I've always written about. And I've always been very um, concerned with the cultural kind of way that we're living. This civilization right now has lost so much of the meaning 
and is just involved in getting and spending and getting and spending and going to work for 40 hours a week and going shopping on the weekends and going back to work on Monday, and then you die. And there's, there's no real meaning about it. And I think there is a great deal of meaning inherent in life that's discoverable if we look for it and remember that we're sacred beings, not economic automatons. That is so beautifully That's said. That's what I write. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I hear you exactly completely because that is so true. I think, you know, um, the true essence is beyond all these material things, all the commercial commercialism, like you said, and, you know, and all in between. Because I think, you know, uh, what happened, I mean, in my perspective, again, I'm, I'm not sharing an opinion here. I'm just sharing perspective. My perspective here is, is the fact I think we are, we do, and I think you touched on that in your book that we do what we do, we consume, we buy, we do whatever, because we think that's going to make us happy. We think that's, you know, it's, it's a show off of success or status or, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, like, I don't like material things. I do, but I don't become them. And I think it's the same thing with technology. I mean, technology is such a wonderful thing, right? But we, Absolutely. today's technology, right? I mean, if you think about it, today's technology, social media, you know, everything that we do, that is like we at our age, and I know you touch on that greatly in your book. You know, we are, I mean, this is the best time to be alive. But what are we doing with this information? How are we using it to benefit ourselves and then the world, you know, in general? You know what I mean? Like, we don't, like, I mean, I think it, it's the problem that I see it, the fact that we are, most of us are living in a, in a tunnel, if, if I might say. We, we don't mm-hmm. see beyond what, you know, our own space, I guess, what we think it is, and, and, and uh, I don't know, I mean, what, what, tell me more, tell me more what you think about this, because I know you touch on it in your book, what, what do you, what's your thoughts about? Well, you, you stir up uh, my remembering, just about a month ago, I went to visit my daughter who lives in Washington, D.C., and it happened that that weekend there was a kind of joint event going on where embassies from around the world were having open houses. And mm-hmm. lots of tourists were there and lots of people going from embassy to embassy to embassy. And it was very, very, very crowded and, and standing in line for hours for some of these embassy visits. Uh, but we got to four of them. And we, we went to Haiti and Chile and uh, Barbados. And there's another one I can't think of right now. Um, but I remember being in these different places and thinking how these people all look so different. They all speak so differently. And the places all decorated with artwork and technology and business things that they have in their countries. And all of this is so varied and different. And it's all beautiful. The different color skins, the different accents, the different languages, the different paintings, the different form of tapestries, and everything was so magnificent and beautiful. And instead of living a life where we sit back and say, my God, this is a magnificent world, and there's so much to discover and love about it, we've crawled into that little hole you were talking about and just have our little life and then become fearful or hateful toward anyone who's different, which is just the reverse, I think, of uh, the Garden of Eden's right in front of our nose, <laughs> and, and I mean, we're avoiding it. Think, I mean- yeah, I mean, I really, I, I try, I, I have, I'm very hopeful in the humanity. I, I try to be most of the time. Um, however, you know, I don't believe in ignorant. There is no excuse for ignorant. And I really also believe that education is the key 
uh, it's the more you educate people, I mean, we're not talking, I mean, there's so much information out there. We were just talking about technology. We are talking about, you know, um, uh, all the available tools. I call it tools because we become the tools, unfortunately, but they are, after all, tools there to serve our purpose, there to make our life easier, not to become those tools. But I think, you know, I, I, I think, honestly, I think people are afraid. The fear yeah. is, 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 is huge. I, I, I sense it. I feel it. I mean, I, even myself, I'm constantly trying to train my mind. I'm constantly learning and teaching myself different ways to understand our mind, how we think, our, like you said, our, 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 our uh, mental landscape, like what makes us who we are, our feeling. You talk, you touch on healings, you know, how our body, you know, reflects to how we feel, uh, the mind and body connection. But I think there is a missing um, piece that most of us, um, we, we, we just don't see it. Does that make any sense? Like, I think, you know, we, we are afraid. Oh, yes, yes. Right, and 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 I think we don't want to take that leap, you know, uh, that that step, you know, to 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 find out what is the possibility, what can we do, you know. I'm constantly trying to figure out what can I do myself on an individual level to actually really be part of a change and transformation. You heard my intention is it's always been like this. I'm I volunteer. I am actually a, a board member on a nonprofit organization that supports children in a, in a developing country in a, you know in in Africa and you know and even here we try to touch on it. And I just see like you know the rest of the world like even though like there's countries there that are like you said you go you went to Tahiti or Haiti. Tahiti, right? Hey, or Haiti. Yeah. To hate, okay, but but you see, like their life is so simple, but yet it's so, so full. Does that make sense? Like I noticed that I travel yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, so you know. Yeah, well, this country has certainly you know, taken to an extreme uh, the the technical and economic way of life, and other countries less so, more or less, to different parts of the world, uh, and they may or may not envy our way of life. Uh, I often envy theirs as much as you seem to be suggesting that you do sometimes too. Uh, but I'd like to see a melding of it. I mean, what technology and prosperity, these are wonderful things. But anything earthly, if we just become totally attached to it and make it our God and forget about anything outside of just wanting more of that, well, then, then it becomes detrimental to our mental health and spiritual health and the world uh, civilization. Well, I, I think it's the emptiness, right? Like, you know, I mean, people, I, I think the majority of people, and, and it, it's funny because I, like I said, I this is, didn't happen for me overnight. I have trained myself so many times, and I still do. I have a lot of different ritual practices that I do to keep myself focused on what really matters, um, to stay in tune of what really is versus, like, you know, what we think it is, you know, and, and, and constantly try to go deeper on that. But, but what really I, I feel like part of me is like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to tell people what, what they should do. And like I said, this show, like we, we talked before, it's, it's thought-provoking and for information purpose, people can do whatever they like to do with this information. But I like people to really think outside that box. I don't even think the box should exist. And how many times have you talked to people and people think of me like, oh, my gosh, she's so optimistic. When people say, like, you know, uh, uh, the half cup, 
the cup, the cup half empty, right? Like that's the the first response because they cannot see beyond, you know, um, the half full, right? Because they are so empty, like they really are, and and that's not a good thing. When we are empty on the inside, and you you talked about it like the inner, like so much inner, like you gotta focus on your first, you know what's going on in, inside of you. I love there was a part. Let me see if I actually highlighted that note when I was reading your book. You said something about change. You said, I don't know if you want to read that. You know the part when you talked about um, in order for things to, ha- to change, we have to change. And in order for us to change things, we need to change who we are on the inside or understand something to that. I don't, I don't know what else, if I'm saying it okay. verbatim. But yeah, you know I, what I'm talking think, referring to? I, I think you're referring to something in the epilogue. Um, yeah, in the end... This is from the epilogue. In the end, nothing will change unless we change. Correct. If we never wished to harm one another, there would be no nuclear weapons. If we continue to wish harm upon each other, no political negotiations will protect us. The question each of us must struggle to answer is, why do we feel so much hatred and why are we always so close to violence? Should I go on or... Yes, please. I think I want to hear your point of view. Please. Due to our inner need to feel important rather than empty, we judge, label, and divide people into classes and categories that nourish our self-righteous beliefs about good and bad, superior and inferior, right and wrong. Rather than working on our own inner lack of love and compassion, we turn our attention outward and hate our rivals. We try to convert them, we try to talk sense into them, and when all else fails, we try to kill them. Racial, religious, misogynistic, nationalistic, and all forms of hatred, no matter how subtle, are the deepest roots of violence and war. Rather than pretending to transcend this common condition, we need to find ways to transform it by transforming ourselves. The first step, as with any change, is to become conscious of ourselves. And without becoming judgmental or self-disparaging about any negativity we might find, to stop pretending and stop denying. When we clearly see that we have all the same qualities and susceptibilities as everyone else, this by itself can spark an enormous surge in compassion. As a corollary to this, one invaluable way to initiate this transformation is to make sincere efforts to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to drop our egocentricity and deeply consider the total internal reality of other human beings we could do this, everything would change. There could never be another lynching. There could never be another genocide. There could never be another war. But the most basic and critical step in transforming ourselves is changing the way we think. Yep. I think I, yep. I think maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Yep, yep, the way yes, we think. We, I think that's, that's the key right there. That's the key. Yeah. It's how we think. It's our program. You know, obviously we know, you know, the technology and everything else and the media, everything that has surrounded us is constantly reconditioning our minds. It's constantly, you know, feeding us information. It's constantly, you know, putting more information in our subconscious mind that we normally, because, you know, I, you know, uh, the, our subconscious mind is what drives our action, right? Everything, whatever we do, anything, information that we, we want, like, you know, you ask me a question and I automatically know the answer because that information is stored yeah. in my mind. But when was the last yeah. time any of us had questioned 
all that information that we get, how we think and our thoughts, you know, how is it serving us to begin with, you know, because it starts with each one of us, and then, you know, and then for the, for the, out, for the outer world. So, but it has to start from the inner world. Yeah. So please talk about that. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, you okay. Know. Well, in my subtitle, I talk about how, how to bring meaning back to a world overwhelmed by commercialism, scientism, and fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And actually, those are three forms of fundamentalist way of thinking, because fundamentalism isn't just about religion. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of not thinking, actually. It's a way of allowing ourselves to take in what someone has told us and believe what they say and adhere to that and believe it and stick to that and not wanting to hear anything else because it's not the way we see things. And there's economic fundamentalism and scientism is scientist scientific fundamentalism and there's plenty of religious fundamentalism and instead of thinking for ourselves we take what other people say I have a whole chapter on Emerson talking about how this is what's wrong with America 150 years ago but an interesting thing about thinking thinking for ourselves that I'd like to just mention quickly if I can two things from of all places the Gospels because we don't think usually that religion is telling us to think for ourselves. People think that religion is telling us what to believe and what to think and what ideas to adhere to and and have faith in these things that other people are telling us. But in fact, that's not what the great spiritual teachers have ever taught. And I, I want to mention two things from the Gospels. At first, the very beginning story, and then the climax story when Jesus is talking to Pilate. In the beginning... At the very start of the story, uh, we, we, we find John at the Jordan River telling everyone to repent, repent, repent. But the word in Greek that is translated as repent is metanoia. And metanoia means to think in a higher, better, new way. Meta, higher and beyond, uh-huh. and noia, like nous and noumenon, has to do with the mind, the higher mind. So he's uh-huh. telling people to think in a new way. That's the way it starts. Think in a better, higher, newer way. Then we come to the climax of the story, and Jesus is standing there with Pilate. And Pilate asks the question, uh, so, and it sounds very snide and sarcastic, so are you the king of the Jews? And people focus on that. But Christ's answer is remarkable. His answer is, are you asking that from yourself or did someone tell you about me? Which (laughs) means, are you thinking for yourself yourself. or believing what you've been told? That's the big final climax message that Jesus is asking all of us. Are you thinking for yourself or just believing what you're told? If you're just believing what you're told, you're, you're dead inside. If you're thinking for yourself and you're still asking questions and you're finding new ways of thinking, and I'm not saying think different things. It's about how you think, that it comes well, from it's yourself, it's from it's your own inner effort. Right? I mean, like, it's a take, responsibility. Like, yes. earn, it or earn it. Like, it's yours. You, you, you right. came up with it, right? Like, you know, this is, my, yes. this is my observation. This is my thought. This is what I'm thinking based on what, you know, yeah. and then take it from there. Is that basically what you're saying, correct? Yeah. Yes, and an interesting thing happened to me in my life about 20, oh gosh, it must be 30 years ago now. I was living in New York City, and I was part of a group that was, a, we, we met several times a week with a couple of uh, spiritual teachers. And one night I was sitting there, and um, the, the, one of the teachers um, 
said something, and then he turned to me and he said, what do you think of what I just said? <laughs> and I very politely said, I believe you. And boy, was that the wrong thing to say. He Ooh. screamed at me so that the whole room shook. And he said, you believe me? You have no right to believe me. You have no right to believe anything I say. How dare you take my work for your own? You find out for yourself. And when I stopped shaking, because he was a very formidable man and I was very young, <laughs> when I stopped yeah. shaking, I realized this, this is what a real teacher teaches. He teaches you to think for yourself. A cult leader tells you what to believe. And he was not telling well, me to believe anything he said. He was telling me never to believe anything even he said, but find out for yourself. Yeah, that is so true. And that takes us to uh, this chapter where you talk about the meaningful, meaningful education. And I love what you what you said because I, I've been questioning that for years. Even like, you know, my son was like in high school now he just started college. And, uh, of course, I'm like, I, I love, uh, well, he goes to Stevens. I don't know if you know Stevens Engineering School in uh, Hoboken. And uh, mm-hmm. um, their way of thinking and introducing the, the material and have them, like, really think for themselves, I was, like, so fascinated by it because I haven't seen it around. Because I, like, you know, when he was in high school, you know, blue, blue ribbon school, you know, that we are in and all the stuff you think, like, we have the greatest school and everything. But everything is, like, you know, repetitive. Like, it's been taught over and over and over again. I'm like, it does not force creativity. It does not make you, you know, like, and, and you mentioned it in the book, it's like, how, when is the, when, when am I going to use this in real life, right? <laughs> you know, the question even if we wanted to teach part of what really worked, you know, the old books and the old, you know, uh, uh, information, and, and there is a lot, of, a lot of great information. I mean, we know in history, you know, there's tons of great literature and books and everything. But we need to take it to the modern world where we are right now and then have, you know, the, like you said, it's not about agreeing and following it. It's about, like, what you make out of this and what can you, how you can make it better. So my son... I remember, and I think he, he had to have been like 15 years ago, uh, 15 years old. And uh, he came to me, he was in high school, and he was having some difficulty because he was like, you know, and now he's, you know, an honor student and, you know, <laughs> and I'm so proud of him. Uh, but he was questioning that. He's like, Mom, you know, like, I don't understand this. And they actually had to do a test on him because he was not, his grades were not reflecting his his IQ, like his, his, his ability to create and do. And uh, um, so my, my, the whole idea was, it's like, you know, what, we give these kids these books and we tell them to study and then we measure them by the SAT and we measure them by all these tests. I mean, I'm, you know, I came in as a 17-year-old out of high school and when I went to college, I had to take two different tests in order for me to go to college. And, uh, you know, one of them for international student and one of them to get accepted in some of the colleges, the university that, I, you know, I went to. And the, the, the whole thing is the concept of just repeating things without even questioning. And I have a problem with that. And mm-hmm. I took it to that. You know, yeah. I'm like, I, we need to question these things. Why are you guys teaching? And I have spoken a lot at the high school and the student. And, you know, and when I let them open the discussion to just allow them to think for themselves, it was amazing the stuff that came out. So why do we implement these yeah. things? Why do we ask the, the students, like, what do you really make out of this? What can, how can we make it better? So to go back to the 15-year-old boy who came to me and I asked him a question. I have only one kid. And I said to him, I said, honey, 
I have this dilemma because he's such a creative in a lot of different things and, you know, technology and everything. And I said, honey, I have this, this dilemma. I have this, this project that I'm working on, but somebody else is already, you know, like, I like to be original. But, you know, like, let's face it. I mean, a lot of stuff is not original, right? So people do it, take it, they, you know, they, they adapt it. It becomes theirs or whatever they do, you know. Uh, but, but most of the stuff these days is not original, right? So this is when my son comes back to me. He's like, Mom, so you know this is what you work on, right? And if somebody else is already doing this, right? But this is your niche. He said, find a way that you can own it by making this better. It's almost like you created a different version. So, like, even when we think we don't have the ideas to be innovative or creative, I think we don't have to go that far. Just take what you have in front of you and see how you can turn it around and make it better. Mm-hmm. And, that, but it, and that's just what the educational system doesn't want the kids to do. It wants them all to regurgitate the same information back. And this whole standardization movement and the standards movement and all these standardized tests to make every kid know the same thing, be able to say the same thing and repeat the same thing, and anything else is unimportant. And art and music and all these fluff materials, as they call them, we can't waste time with that. And there's no time for recess and play. And there's no time for reading for enjoyment and pleasure. And there's no time for, for taking field trips because we have to study for these standardized tests so you can all answer the same questions the same way. And, and this is part of a bigger problem in society. This may be the core of it right now, but the whole standardization of life, that everyone is supposed to have the same goals and the same dreams and get the same kind of job and get the same kind of car, have the same kind of relationship, have sex with someone who looks exactly like this and, and, and buy the car that looks exactly like that, and, and everything's supposed to be standardized. And if you go into health and healing, the doctors treat us like these little mechanical devices. Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. have diabetes and the other person has diabetes, they're exactly the same thing, and we treat them with exactly the same drug. And life and and meaning and everything is just standardized. And and it's it's just living death because we're not allowed to be creative and real in, in who we are and individuals. We talk in this country so much about rugged individuality. It's nonsense. They don't want rugged individuals. They want people to fit into the economic system and do what they're told and believe what they're told to believe and go home on the weekends and watch TV. And that's, that's right. life, and, and it's, it's just right. dreadful. Well, and that's know, why I have this whole book about the beauty and nobility of life and trying to oh. revive at least an interest in that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I love I actually love the title. What a, what a creative title! I don't know how how did you come up with the title? What, what was your thoughts when you were writing it? Well, did I, you do I, the writing first? Kept... <laughs> Which one came I, first? I did some of some of the writing first, and I kept thinking about the title, and I and I you know just kept tossing around some of these words, and and I use beauty in in the terms like uh, Plato and and I the Greeks it. talked about beauty as this very high ideal uh, and right. nobility, and 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 I found a way to. Well, I'll tell you a secret. I found a way to put them in iambic pentameter, and I was very proud of myself. <laughs> you know, it's, in, it's, it's in Shakespearean rhyme, the beauty and nobility of life. And I, I, love I thought it. that was pretty I cute. Yeah, you oh, know, it's, you it's such an easy read. You know, it's a, it's a small book. It's not that big, 215 pages, I think, right? And awesome, yep. awesome information. But let me let me give you a little break. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to okay. talk more. But I just want to tell our listeners again. 
you know, the show is always about information, right? Sharing information, sharing resources, sharing tips, suggestions. We're not telling anybody what to do. Just open your mind and take what is useful for you. But question it. Question, question, question. My motto is to question everything. You've got to question everything. Don't just accept things just because they are. I think toward the end of the, 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 the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about solutions. Cause I, you know, I position myself as a solution provider because I think we can, we can say how bad things are, but we can maybe share with our audience, if you don't mind, some helpful suggestions that people can actually start doing to change things starting with them. How is that? Sure. Yep. All right. So we'll be right back. Thank you for coming. Your Life Now radio show with Coach Rhea will return in just a few moments. Welcome back, my friends. You are listening to Your Life Now show. I am your host, Rhea Wilkie, and executive producer, a.k.a. Coach Rhea. Thank you so much for being here. We have an amazing episode here, amazing show with our guest, Dr. Andrew Court, the author of The Beauty and Nobility of Life. And, uh, well, I'm going to read the rest of the title here. And, uh, um, uh, my goodness. I have to say the restoration of meaning in a world overwhelmed by commercialism, scientism, and fundamentalism. So before we show, we touch on a lot of different things as far as, you know, thinking for ourselves, you know, what really is going on and, and how we talk, we touch on education. And um, my question is, is going to start with Dr. Um, Andrew Court is can can our really truly and I know this is this is something you touch on, can our view of the universe affect everything we do from the way we treat nature, the animals, to each other, to ourselves? Well, our view of life in the world can only affect everything we do in the world. Uh, we we, we act from that place. We may not be thinking about it when we're doing it, but we're we're acting from from that part of ourselves and what our view is of, of life in the world. Of course, if our view of life in the world is, is just a great big mechanical device, then you live very mechanically. And if your view of life is that it's a horrible, depressing place, then, then you have an oppressive life and everything's very sad. And if your view of life is, is everything's very light and breezy and there's no problems, then you've got no problems, but I'm, I'm not sure you're living the, the real world because it's both, it's everything. Uh, but but ho- however you you have that inner view, you will be acting out of that. I'm not sure that's what you it's were asking about. Yeah, no, it, this is true because I mean, uh, for me, I believe that everything is perception. It's how we perceive things, how we see things, and mm-hmm. we yeah. we we tend to, you know, I mean, we have the five normal senses, right? Some of us, I believe, I have mm-hmm. more than five senses because I feel things that you know some people don't. It's just because of how I train my mind to think. Um, so I see things differently, I view things differently, I examine things differently, and does not make me, you know, any better than anybody else. It's just I'm, you know, we always that one degree, right, different. And uh, um, but the the fact, you know, just want to tell our listeners again, Dr. Andrew Court is the author of, you know, again, uh, the beauty and nobility of life. He had author of ten books, 
He's a speaker, teacher, attorney, doctor of chiropractic, which he's practicing right now as well, and interfaith minister. And he's talks, writing, and seminars in compass, spirituality, interfaith, religion, science, mythology, education, healing, and how these all interact with each other and with the contemporary culture. Um, he's also um, a Joseph Campbell scholar. So I, it's an honor to have you again, Dr. Andrew. And I found that, you know, the, when you, we talk about change, you also said Dr. Cork believes that the humanity can realize its own essential goodness by realizing and by direct knowing of what is truly good and beautiful present in every human being. Could you please elaborate on that? <laughs> I said, give me 10 seconds and I will. I just want to add something because you, you've said a couple of times I'm a Joseph Campbell scholar, and that actually comes from uh, a, a sentence in some of my uh, websites or something. There's an organization I'm on the staff. It's called the Center for Symbolic Studies. And okay. uh, it's based very much in Joseph Campbell's uh, work. And I have a, a seat that's named the Joseph Campbell Scholar with the Center for <gasps> Symbolic Studies. Okay. Which is different than my saying I'm a Joseph Campbell scholar. That that would be ingenuous and uh, a bit much. <laughs> but okay, so I, we'll, I certainly we'll respect and have read much of him. Part. Okay, yeah, so okay. people don't understand it, of course. So let's, let's go a- back anyway, to the um, <laughs> The good and yeah. beautiful. Let's talk about the good and beautiful. Uh, you 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 asked me more of it, and my my aging mind is forgetting how you phrased it. Can you can you ask me okay, so the, gonna, the question again? Okay, so basically what you stated that you believe that humanity can realize its own essential goodness by realizing and by direct knowing, okay. realizing and oh, by direct okay. knowing of what is truly good and beautiful that is present in every human Okay. So, okay. Okay. There's, there, there's, a, there's an ancient idea in uh, the West, in, in Greece, in Socrates and Plato, and it's in the Bible, and it's, it's in the Eastern religions, uh, about an inner eye. E Y E, about a third mm-hmm. eye they call it, mm-hmm. about the eye yeah. of the soul it's sometimes called. This this is a place that exists that every now and then all of us have had the experience of this eye opening up, and suddenly we have this intuition and understanding of something that we don't know how to, how on earth did I know that, and 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 this has happened to all of us at more or less times in our life, but that inner eye if it could be opened all the time, beyond our logic and our reasoning and all the stuff they taught us in school and all, all the thoughts that are chattering around in my mind all day long, if that inner eye opens, it opens up our sacred intuition to higher levels of existence and, and a higher levels of real truth with a capital T that we can perceive not with our nose and our ears and our eyes and the fingertips, but that we can only perceive with that inner eye. And if that opens, and that's pretty much what all of enlightenment effort is about, at least at the beginning, is just opening that part of our inner soul to perceive higher truth. Well, if we get there, then it's, we, we no longer just believe whatever nonsense we've been told. We actually know what we're talking about. So when Emerson talks about we should trust ourselves and and find that gleam of light that still exists in all of us, he he's not saying we should trust whatever nonsense we happen to personally believe. 
He's saying that we should find that inner gleam of light and that inner, inner third eye and, and trust that. And Socrates talks about that. And when I think it's in Matthew, Christ says, if, if, if the um, eye becomes single, with that one inner eye, then the whole world is flooded with light. You know, it, it, it's, it's all about opening that eye and finding that truth. Because our senses tell us certain things about the world. But what our senses tell us is very limited about actual total reality. Reality is much bigger than what we think we see around us. Because the eyes only see a very limited range of wavelengths. And the ears only hear a very limited range of, of sound waves. And, and all this information we get through our senses is, is based is limited by the biology of how we're created and the, mm-hmm. the assumptions we've made in the past so we're only allowed to see things that we believe are possible and the emotional ways that we feel about things that color the way we see what's around us. And you put all that together and the total reality of the universe and the total reality of life is, is we're just seeing a minute little piece of it with our senses. So you work through meditation or through prayer or, or through however you work spiritually or inwardly or psychologically, and, and you go deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself to find real truth, not because you own the truth, but because you open up the reality of the unity and universal truth. And you can't see it out there. You can only see it from in here. That's so true. And you know, I mean, you know, we—I I mentioned uh, uh, my my rituals, like you know, my practices. I've been practicing these rituals for years for myself, and it gives me the ability to see more than what my eyes, like you said, what you know, our our limited, you know, uh, senses, so-called, you know, that that give us because we you know we can't see beyond it, right? But I feel now that I have like more you know, um, the ability to see more of it, you know, like I try to like, you know, I mean, like I, that's how like, you know, meditation, obviously one of, one of the best way to do that. Even science now believe in the meditation is a, it's a great form of oh, stress yeah. relief yeah. And, and different, you know, um, but I think, you know, the, the limited, the limited sight that we have, like, you know, it really prevents us from seeing beyond what we need to see. I think, you know, and, and that limited, that limit that we put on there, it's really pushed and forced on us by these programs, by these mental, you know, uh, thoughts that we have stored in our mind that really not doing anything but harming us and harming everything else around us. I yeah. think, you know, I mean, for me, you know, uh, as as uh, someone who, you know, has studied, you know, and I got so many certification, actually, sometimes I think it's like, you know, I, I have more knowledge now that I did when I got my master, you know, because I understand more now. And I always constantly open myself to learn more and to question more because not just taking the information and and apply it without realizing, you know, what is this doing? Is this thing working? But the third eye thing is, it's an interesting thing about the third eye. Um, When we, when the third eye allows us to see beyond, and I think that's like the chakra. I know, do you practice uh, kinesiology at all? You do, right? Because as a Do I practice? Did right. you say applied so kinesiology? Right, right. Kinesiology, uh, yes. right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, you know, you realize how, how, like, you know, I mean, like people, simple, simple practice, you know, tell us some of the practices about kinesiology that actually really kind of bring you to really rethink things. What were some of the things that you would like to share on that part? Uh, on apply, well, it's it's 
basically a, a little biofeedback kind of system where you can test things on a body and, and ask it for a feedback mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, ge- I'm, I'm getting some funny noises. Uh, is it, is it, is yeah. it clear where you are? Oh, okay. I mean, I, okay, I, I then I'll just ignore that. Yeah, I can hear a little bit of noise, but, it, but you okay. I mean, I don't think it's, it's okay. very disturbing, okay. so it's fine. Okay. So continue, okay. please. So what, what, so, it, what applied kinesiology what is, 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 is muscle testing. Muscle you, you, testing. You, you put a muscle in a position where if you push it a certain way and have the patient push back and resist your pressure, you're using a particular muscle for what it does. It's, it's the kind of movement it does. And, and you test to see, I say hold or, or you know, just you know, resist, and, and then I push, and I see if the muscle locks tight the way it ought to. And right. if it does, and then I stimulate the body with something that's bad for the body, or the mind or the heart, and I'll expand on that in a moment, with something that's, that's bad for the system. For a moment, uh, the nervous system takes in this, this negative impulse, and sends out a negative impulse through the nervous system, and then you test the muscle right away again, and, and, it, and it'll give a little, or in some people it gives a lot. <laughs> it, it just weakens, we say. But really, it's not locking up because it's, not, it, it's getting this impulse that something's wrong. And that might be I have the patient taste something that they're allergic to, or it might mm-hmm. be that I uh, press on something that's out of place and irritate it, or it might be that I, I say something, uh, that, and, and this you know, would just be in the course of you know, finding things out. If you say something that's really hurtful to someone, uh, I'm not even going to say such a thing yet. If you, if you do, a, a muscle would weaken for a moment because they, they have this response in their nervous system. Um, on the other hand, if the muscle is weak to begin with and you say something really positive, it might strengthen. Or you have them taste a nutrient that they're deficient in they need, it might strengthen. Uh, so, so you can use this as a biofeedback mechanism. It's an art. It's not perfect. Um, if I find something very, very serious, I might try and back up and corroborate with other kinds of tests, you know, blood tests or X-rays or things. And and and, and I certainly, you know, don't say that it's a hundred percent perfect. And no test is. You know, nothing yeah, medical testing thing. is hundred percent right. yeah. perfect mm-hmm. either. But it, but it's a right. useful way of of asking the body questions. Essentially, uh, is this good for you? Is this bad for you? And the body responds with through the nervous system. And so I, that's what applied kinesiology is. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have also like, you know, I think, you know, from my, my area, if, I don't, if you don't mind, I, I share my, my thinking about that as well. It's the simplest way, actually, for me. I find it to be very effective. And I tell, you know, some of my clients that I work with, you know, to, to test it themselves. Every time you, 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 you have a negative feeling, Every time you you just say, oh, God, I hate this person. I try to actually squash myself. You know, like if, if a negative thought came to me and I just, like, feel, like, so angry, right? Like, you know, I'm, yeah, I, li- I grew up in the city. I'm, like, you know, we, we got crazy drivers, you know, <laughs> you know like world, road rage, right? So I used to have, like, you know, I was much younger. I was, like, road rage. Like, I can't believe your stupidity. But now when I notice myself, when I actually literally watch myself, you know, expressing those anger feelings, see how things are afterwards. Like, things don't really work out. Like, it's almost things fall out of line, right? So your energy levels really affect your mood, your, you know, whatever is going on with you. Just, I think it's like, you know, people really just pay attention to what's going on with them, how they're feeling, and then I think write it down. That's how I, you know, everything I do, you know, like teach people, write down, okay? Write it down. 
and just remember what happened after that. Because that's a lesson to be learned. Because I can guarantee you, every time you're angry, every time you express a hate feeling, every time you express an anger or anything like that, your whole body reacts to it, and then therefore every action that you take, it's not the best. So everything that you do after yeah. that, I find it, my, I mean, I, I'm, I practice it on myself constantly, just to see, like, you know, how did this affect me, how did it affect my action, how did it affect my day, how did it affect, like, you know, my attitude to, like, work and get accomplished things that day. It's really about how I feel. And that's, you know, you, I know in your book you touch on healing. I love when you talk about the placebo effect being a powerful, actually. <laughs> Can you touch on that? I know the yeah. time is crazy going the, fast. The placebo effect is is arguably the most powerful force in the universe, and we belittle it. We say, oh, that's just the placebo effect. The placebo effect means that if... if, if huh? Excuse me? No, no, can you, can you elaborate on oh. that, like why... why yeah, you it, uh-huh. it, the placebo effect means that if you believe deeply that something will help you and that you'll heal, you, you increase the possibility of it helping and healing you by thousands of percent. If you believe that it won't and that it can't, then you it won't and it can't <laughs> because you've you've That's made true. that decision and that is so powerful. There's there's old stories like in in native cultures where um, a, um, a medicine man would would kill someone by a gesture that they knew meant death, like pointing a bone at them. And and the people believed that if the medicine man pointed a bone at you, you're going to die. And people would go home and die. That's and crazy. when I was working with AIDS, when I was working with AIDS patients in New York City in the 1980s, I, I kept telling them this story and trying to tell them that they're doing the same thing. When their doctor tells them, "You have AIDS, you're going to die," or the right. newspapers say, "Everybody who has AIDS is going to die," if you believe that, you're going to die. And if you refuse to believe that, you at least give yourself a fighting chance. <laughs> and if yeah. you enhance your life with positivity and, and hopefulness and, and, and forward-looking you know, attitude and good emotional health, you, you, you strengthen uh, your ability to heal enormously. But if you simply believe, oh, it's over, the doctor said I'm going to die and the doctor's always right, well, you, you, you just did yourself in. And that, that's you part of being so suggestible and not thinking for ourselves. Yeah, no, that's so true. But, I mean, it's not funny, but I, I just, you know, just my, my mind came into, I, I know tons of stories where people actually, you know, have gotten, like, bad news and, and you know, like, they know the death sense, right? I mean, like, you know, somebody's, like, said, like, oh, you're sick. I worked, you know, I used to work for corporate, and, and it was rarely that I went to the office. Um, and uh, I remember a few times where uh, there was, a, was somebody at the office that um, was not feeling good. And the person that, you know, because they don't, they were really not aware of what's going on with them. They're just like, you know, hey, you're under the weather or whatever. And this one person came in and told them, like, out loud, it's like, oh, my God, you look terrible. And honestly, I was standing there. <laughs> and that story, like, I just, like, it just flashes my mind right now. It, so the, 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 uh, the guy or the person, like, when they expressed it, they expressed it, like, in a, in a such a believer, believing way that the actually person the other day, you know, the next day, they were to the hospital. They were in the hospital. Yeah. I yep. mean, it was, like, it so crazy. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, you know, I mean, there's tons of things, but like I said, it's all about education, 
It's all about educating the mass to question everything and understanding. So if you don't mind wrapping wrapping it up for us and, and give us a few suggestions on some of the things that we can do to start really be more conscious liver living, you know, like live consciously, understand, you know, the information that we have, understand our ability, holding ourselves responsible for our actions and so on and so forth. I don't want to repeat all of them, but take us yeah, through well, it if I'll, you don't mind. I give you a, a couple of uh, suggestions, and, and the first one is the very ancient idea of self-examination. Get to know yourself. Try, without judgment, to self-observe and to see who and what you are and what you're doing inside there and the thoughts and the feelings that are roaming around, and not to judge them and not even to try to change them because you can't. You can't really change them. But if you observe them and see them, bringing them into the light of consciousness the, the light will dissolve them and fix them. If you try and force things to change, something else will just come up because it's, it's there for some reason. So I suggest people try to truly be objective and impartial and just see what's happening within themselves and bring all that up into consciousness and just be aware of it and over time let grace take care of it. I think that's a really good beginning. In particular, look at how you think about things and have an ounce of faith that you don't have to think about things the way you do. Have an ounce of faith that there could be another way of thinking about this. And, and, and start just seeing what you're doing and what you're thinking and how you're thinking about it and see if new things open up and start to arise and, and give them a chance. Another thing I would suggest people do every day is just take a moment to remember that you're there. We're usually so completely absorbed in what's going on around us that we're being led by the nose through life, and we get to the end of the day or the end of our life, and we forgot to notice that we were participating in it because it just happened to us and we were passive. So take a moment, take a stop, and say, there's that tree I'm looking at, and here is me looking at that tree. I'm present in this experience, not just the tree. And remember your own presence. And if you can, remember that that inner presence is very sacred and wonderful. And it doesn't have to be ignored all day while all you do is see the tree out there. See yourself in here as well. Another thing I would suggest is you spend a couple of minutes every day just let yourself be happy. <laughs> because we usually don't give ourselves any time to do that. And here's, here's a briefly a little exercise I do with all my patients in my practice. Take a couple of moments and just watch your breathing, watch your inhale and exhale, and then imagine in your mind's eye that as you breathe in and out, imagine you're breathing in and out through your heart. This helps open up that heart chakra. Just breathe in and out a few times through your heart. And now... After a few such breaths, continue breathing through your heart and find a memory when you were really, really happy. And as you sit there quietly breathing in and out through your heart, let yourself as best you can actually feel and re-experience the feeling of that joy and happiness and relive that happy experience for just a minute. And if you do that, your whole body chemistry changes your whole mind and psyche changes. Everything relaxes. And instead of all the stress and nervousness that we go through all day long, you've, you've given yourself a moment to just be positive and happy and to feel really good about life. 
Well, those are some of the exercises I do. I've got one yeah. other thing I'd like to suggest people do. This, I think, is the most important thing of all. And I need to explain it a little so it doesn't sound like I'm being morose. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I want people to learn to remember their death, to remember that they're going to die and that other people are going to die. Not to become really, really sad, oh, it's so terrible, I don't want to die, and I've had lost love. Those, those emotions around death and the loss of people we love, those are important, but that's, that's just not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what uh, Don Juan told Castaneda that death should be his advisor, <laughs> to always right. remember death is right there. And what I mean is you can live. the person I'm talking to the person I'm ignoring and not talking to, the person I'm just thinking about in my head right now, they could die in the next moment, or I could die in the next moment. We don't know. This moment right now could be the last chance to do something loving and warm and helpful and kind. And if I'm always forgetting that, I can just be angry and bitter and hurt people and hurt myself and hurt animals and hurt the earth because I don't care because I have all the time in the world to waste being negative. But if you remember that death could happen at any moment and this could be your last moment on earth to live vibrantly and alive and joyfully and to be kind and warm and loving to other people. If we could just remember that this could be the last moment, don't waste it. Don't ever waste a moment because it could be the last one. The whole inner psyche and the whole external world would change all for the better. Oh, beautifully said. So beautifully said. And one more thing, um, Dr. Ford, if you don't mind. As far as our tolerance to each other, what would you suggest some of the things that we really, I mean, I think if we really start getting happy with ourselves, maybe we have better, you know, we'll be more tolerant of others too, you think? Could that be? Yes. What, what could we do to be more tolerant of others? Um, yeah, because I mean, I think there's so much shoes. going on right now in the yeah. world where just people just, you know, hate and anger and labeling, yeah. like you yeah. said, and all the mm-hmm. stuff. How we, how we start, yeah. like, really, you know, coexisting well, one thing is, one thing, as you've mentioned, is the word education, and here I would use it in terms of learning about other cultures and other peoples, learning about them with, with, with a mind to, you know, you, you have these different ideas and different rituals and different beliefs, and that's wonderful. Sit down and tell me about them rather than you have these different ideas, I have to hate you. You know, to, to be open to all the variety of life because it's also magnificent. I, I think it's also important, especially in this country right now, to remember something about the, the founding of this country. And people talk about Americans being exceptional. And America is an exceptional place, and we're so different. And they're right and they're wrong. There's something very exceptional about America, but it's not what people think. We are no different than anybody else in any other country or any other time. We're no better, we're no worse, we're no different. We're just like everybody else. But America was founded with the idea that this would be a place where people from all cultures and types and races and religions could come to a place to pursue freedom and equality and happiness and justice and truth and the meaning of life. They could come to pursue all of that, and they would be protected and encouraged no matter where they came from. So we're no different than any other people, but no other country has ever had that obligation to the human spirit. And if we lose that, we're no longer America, and we have failed a huge obligation 
to life and to what's sacred in the world. That is so beautifully said. I really appreciate it that you, you put it into that perspective because that is truly, if we really think about it, it's not about agreeing and disagreeing, but just look at it. Look at the history of how this country is built and, 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 and the struggle and, 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 you know, what people are dreaming, even like us, like when we came here, you know, my parents, you know, wanted to have a better life for us. And they wanted to, you know, all these things to open up for us and everything, you know. And that was, you know, we all had a dream, and I think we all share. And I think one thing in common that I like to always share that with people, if you think about it, every single mother wants the same thing for their kids, right? They want to protect their every kids. Every single one. They want to, every exactly. single one. Exactly. So we are no different. We are so, right. like, our differences is what really, you know, what makes us, you know, it, it's just amazing how, you know, in, uh, in if we put it in this, into this perspective, um, we understand, and again, like, knowledge, education, ask more, find yeah. out, learn, learn. I think the more you learn about it, and this is, for me, like, when I travel, I'm a world traveler, we talked about off the air. When I go to places, I don't want to go where all the tourists are. I go to places where mm. all the real uh, people who live day in and day out, what they do and all the stuff, I want to experience that. I want to experience their way of eating, the way they, they yeah. do things. I yeah. want to see how what makes them who they are. And I want to learn from them because that's what we do. We learn from each other. You know, there yeah, is I a, think a different m- way of doing things. It doesn't mean it's the right way, but at least I'm open. Yeah. I th- I think it was Mark Twain, I'm not quoting exactly. It, it was Mark Twain, I'm not quoting exactly. But he said, nothing gets rid of prejudice and hatred like travel. Oh, my God. <laughs> just so go but around the world and meet people. Yeah. And, yeah, just what you were yeah. saying. Yeah, that is so true. So, Andrew, the, um, before we leave, and I really do appreciate you so kind to come back and share your wisdom and your, 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 right. all the stuff that you shared, the amazing stuff. Just tell people where they can go get the book. Again, the book, The Beauty and Nobility of Life, and where they can get yeah. a hold of you. Okay. Okay, you can get the book on Amazon and other online sales places. You can order it through any bookstore. It, it probably won't be in every bookstore, but you, you can have them order it. Um, going on Amazon might be the easiest way for most people. Uh, if you go to uh, the site of a, a store right here near where I live, it's the, the website is uh, woodstockreveries.com. My book is being sold there, and you can get a signed copy, an autographed copy, if that matters to you. Uh, you can nice. do that. Um, I, I would absolutely ask people. I've, I've poured so much into this book, and I have such hopes for it being useful in the world. And if people would order it and read it, <laughs> I, I would be just so delighted that, that I had, had done something useful for people and for the world. Um, and then I would ask in return if people could write a little review for Amazon, because the more reviews on Amazon, the more their machine and their, their um, computer notices things and shows it to other people when they're searching and so forth. So reviews are, are really useful. Um, and all of that would be greatly appreciated. I have a website which is, uh, it, it talks about my books and my interfaith ministry and other things, though it's mostly about my chiropractic practice. It's just my name. It's uh, www.andrewcourt.com. Uh, there's no letter U in my name, Court. It's Andrew Court, C-O-R-T. And um, you can reach me at andrew at andrewcourt.com. 
And if you read the book and want to tell me something, I'd love to hear it. And if you'd love to have, if you'd like to have me come and give a seminar or a talk, you can, you know, give me a call. I'd probably be happy to do that. Um, I, I don't get to Europe very much, but if you're around uh, most of the states, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And if you're getting married and you're in the Woodstock area, I'm an interfaith minister, so you can call me for that. That's time. awesome. That's really, yeah, I love that. It's like, let me just throw this one in there. <laughs> you know? I, and like, I got all these credentials, and I can do this one, too. <laughs> I love it. Right. <laughs> yeah. What an awesome thing. I, I much appreciate you, and if I can do my part to help you spread the word, I will definitely love to do that as well. Actually, we try and Thank create you. a whole page on our website so for all the recommended books and, and, and if you're interested in doing a book tours and we can try to help you with that as well and try to get a, get you on a panel discussion because I believe and I honestly, I, I said somebody contacted me yesterday that they want me to recommend them and I said I really only recommend that's something that I see a value of, right? And people who I, you know, and I definitely see value in this book. I, it, it, it's, it's not about following what Dr. Andrew Kors has said in the book. It's about it understanding a lot of the things that he touched on. It's something that we really live in, in, day in and day out, right now, in our own life. I think he brings a lot of awareness, a lot of different things that we are ex- experiencing right now in our life. So I recommend it. If you have any question, go to our website, yourlifenow.info. We'll be more than happy to put you in touch also with, with Dr. Court or any question that you, you have for him. We'll be more than happy to also, you know, um, provide you with any additional information that you want. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest as always. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ria. Much love, much love. Have yourself an, an amazing uh, rest of the day. It's a beautiful day, right? I don't know if New York is oh, nice. Oh, where I am is gorgeous. I'm sitting oh, outside beautiful. in the sunlight. It's, uh, yes, uh, I'm actually going to be doing my walk after the show, so I'm going to go <laughs> enjoy some sun and, and some uh, some uh, um, beautiful weather and have yourself an amazing weekend. And we'll be we'll be talking to you soon. I know that. So stay amazing, Great. my friend. Thank you. Much love. You too. Thank you. Okay, so this is concluded our show for today. As you heard, and I recommend that you go get the book and also uh, share the book, share the show. You know, like I always say, sharing is caring. If you do care and you want to help someone else understand more of what's going on and what they can do, you know, to better their life in every aspect of it. There's so many different things that Dr. Kors had mentioned in the book that really touch base on a lot of things that really are closer to our, you know, um, everyday life and, and what's going on with our life. So until next time, my friends, stay amazing. You are amazing. Much love to all. Just one more thing. It takes collaboration mutual agreement, and action to make the impossible possible. So go out there and celebrate who you are and join hands and make the impossible possible. Until next time, my friends, make sure you position yourself and your business always for success. Be present. Look for insight. Take action. Take small steps. Evaluate what you are doing. And remember where you are so you know where you are heading. Stay amazing. Much love to all.